We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Got some interesting questions down here, Ryan. You know, more comments and, and conversation about the comps, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for Tyler Buckner. And I think it's a fascinating conversation. And I think the fact that people keep talking about it is because he's a hard player to comp. I there just a aren't one. a ton of guys like him uh that that you kind of think are fair. Like the only ones I can think of that I think fit really the best from a skill set standpoint are kind of unfair to Put up and like and like. Here's one down here that I wanted to pull up that somebody just brought up. Uh, let me let me. Here we go. A super chat from Ryan Olenek. Thank you for that, Ryan. He says, "Hey guys, sorry for another comp, but what about Buckner versus a Kyler Murray?" Also, let's go. College football is coming. I'm excited about that. But just from a dual threat ability, where he can be a pocket passer on one snap and then a dynamic designed runner on the next, and then a scrambler on the next. I mean, just overall skill set, Kyler is probably the closest. There's there's two things that make me want to not say that. Number one is it's really unfair to compare him to a guy that threw for 4,000 yards and rushed for 1,000 yards the same year one to Heisman. And two, Kyler had a much stronger arm. Kyler Murray has a cannon for an arm. Tyler doesn't – Tyler has a good arm, but it's not a cannon. But right. overall impact on the game, I don't know if there's a better comparison. If you take away the tit-for-tat, okay, he's going to – so you're saying he's going to throw for 4,000 and rush for 1,000? No, I'm just about the way he can impact the game in so many different ways. I mean, in recent, in the last 10 years, is there a better comp than Kyler Murray? I, I have a hard time finding one, just skill set wise and how he can impact yeah. the game. You, you know who I kind of see a little bit as far as just a runner and body type? And this is, this is not a great comp because of the passing side of things. But he does remind me a little bit of Jalen Hurts from a body type and run style perspective. You don't like I I thought Jalen. Well, just because you just physicality and. But see, to me though, you just answered why I don't like that comp because you Mm -hmm. had to split it in half and only go with part of it. Sure. And and that's the reality of it. So that's why I say like if you're going to try to compare him to someone who his running style is exactly like this person's and his throwing is there isn't that one person. Yeah. The reason I think Kyler makes more sense is. I'm not comparing them how specifically you would call plays and how mm-hmm. Kyler ran on this particular concept. He was shifty. He was shaky. He had speed. 
I'm not comparing them to Kyler. They're different throwers. They have different arm strengths. What I'm, what I'm saying is, and I think this is why the Kyler comp works best for me, is how he impacts the game from an all-around nature is why I think the comp works. He can scramble. He can make plays with his arm because of his legs. He can make plays with design runs, and he can he can sit in the pocket all day long. Here's the thing. When Tyler Buckner gets to his full potential, mm-hmm. you can't stop him. You can only hope that he stops himself. And I, and I generally mean that. And, and that's not like a, a hype of like, you know, the greatest thing ever. The point is, what I mean is you can't stop him is there's nothing schematically you can do to take away this one thing and beat him. The only hope you can have is to confuse him and get him into mistakes. And the point I'm making is if you want to play against the pass to take away his ability to throw, he can mm-hmm. run for 140 yards on you. But if you're going to come up and say, hey, we're going to not make him throw to run the ball and we're going to keep him in the pocket all game, he can beat you. And that's why, like, the Jalen Hurts thing doesn't fit for me. Because if you could take away Jalen Hurts' ability to run in college, wasn't a, an incredibly effective quarterback. Like Kyler would. Kyler could not run once and destroy you. Mm-hmm. You know, and he could run it 25 times and destroy you. And that's kind of where I think Tyler will get to. But it's just there's not a direct comparison of he runs like this guy, he throws like that guy, and they mm-hmm. it's the same guy. I just it, It's hard for me to find that comp. It's and, really hard. I, I'm yeah. about to say this, though, Brian. We know we love Archer on this show, but I'm about to block him after this comment oh, he no. just made. Oh, no. Where he said, I'm hoping Sean Clifford is the closest comp. Archer. I'm about to put you in timeout for five minutes. I, I will not accept this conversation. Mm-mm. That's just mean and nasty. Mean. But I love where he's funny. coming from because he's kind of like, uh, I hope that he's not like the guys. That's an Ohio State fan. Hope he's not like the guys you just talked about, or otherwise Ohio State's going to be in trouble. Here's a comp I've seen brought up for Tyler Buckner that I don't like, and it's not the first time I've seen it, and that's why I'm bringing it up again. Uh, yep. Milton fan, 15, thank you for the comment, but he said from a play comparison perspective, I think Baylor Mayfield, Baker Mayfield is a good comp to Tyler Buckner. I don't because I don't think Baker Mayfield could ever impact the game anywhere close to the way that Tyler Buckner could as a runner. Agreed. And that's why I don't like that comp. To be there's, a, there's, there's just nothing about his game that re- reminds me of him. I mean, like if, if you're again, if you're going for like the size body thing, type, somewhat a little yeah. bit of a body type thing. But Baker Mayfield had a little improvisation bu- uh, skills at Oklahoma, but he wasn't a great athlete. He was just a tough, tough quarterback. Arm strength. I mean, the arm, the the release is not the, nearly the same. The, the just the ability as a passer is not. The, it's just, yeah, I, I don't love that comp overall. Here's I've seen this kind of cool. It reminds me of Tebow. I think that isn't a bad comparison. If you take out the direct style of play again, yeah, this is the problem. We're going to be here all day trying to find a comp that works. If you're trying to find someone who has the same exact body type, style, throwing motion, and all that, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, the Tebow one works because I think the I think Tyler, if you're going to get into specifics, I think Tyler's ability to run the ball is more similar to Tebow's than it is Kyler Murray's. But yeah. in but then again part of the but you're not going to be able to go to that full degree ryan because tebow was basically a fullback once he got the ball in his hands it tyler will be able to run you over in space but you're not going to run tyler buckner the way you did tim tebow like so if you talk about big picture impact the game okay sure run throw maybe an unorthodox throwing motion that kind of thing sure but then yeah. you start getting into the narrow specifics and an offense with tim tebow is going to look a lot different than an offense with tyler they buckner. used to have they used to put just guys like Jeff Demps and yeah. Chris Rainey at running back because on third and one, Tim Tebow's running quarterback power. <laughs> like that's right. that's how the game works in that, right. that system, you know? Right. So 
And I don't know if I want to do that all the time with Tyler Bucker. He's not nearly as big. Your I mean, spots yeah. with it, but yeah, I agree. right. I agree. He's, I mean, he's not two fifty like Tim Tebow was. There's a, there's a pretty big difference there. Tebow is a big boy, man. He's a big yep. boy. Yep. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. John A1 asks, in modern football, how good do linebackers need to be in man coverage? What are the base coverage expectations for a D1 top 25 linebacker play? It, it's So, John, I mean, it really depends. If you if you have a linebacker that is good in man coverage, then that is a big bonus, man, because that means that you can do a lot more things on the second level. Mostly, though, I would say what I need from a linebacker is to be able to be a good zone dropper and have good eyes to cover – to to – close passing windows in zone coverage. I don't necessarily need a guy that's going to be a great coverage uh, man, the man coverage guy, but it's, it's very valuable. And there are going to be sometimes, like I think of like, you know, when we're talking about like, you know, the outside, outside routes running just like a little, you know, a little slant or something. And the running back is leaking on a wheel out of the backfield. Like there are going to be times where you're going to be forced into man coverage but for the majority, I just need a guy that's good in zone, a guy that has good eyes, a guy that knows how to get to a landmark. I can work with that, right? So that even goes for the NFL, to be honest. I know people make a big deal because it's a it's a space-driven league now, but I, I still don't need my linebackers to be great man-to-man coverage guys. I need them to be smart. I need them to be disciplined. I need them to be good zone droppers. That's what I need mostly. Yep. Next question is Blaine Tiller. Which current head coach besides Freeman do you think will win? Will win? Will will be next to win their first championship? That's interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I mean, it's hard for me not to say Ryan Day. I think that's the easy answer because his program's closest to it, and it's got a good spot. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. you know. But you know, I think it'll be someone that surprises us. Like, who would have guessed Ed Orgeron going into the 2019 season? Right? Like, if you'd have asked me this question on August 12th before 2019. I would have would, probably wouldn't have guessed Ed Orgeron. And I'm someone who had LSU going to the playoff that year. I mean, I, I just think they were going to win it. You know, I thought Clemson had beat them or Bama would beat them or, you know, somebody beat them. Georgia maybe, you know, and, you know, if you got two SEC teams in. So I wouldn't have got – Ohio State was supposed to be really good in 2019. It was Ryan Day's first year. Justin Fields was taken over. They were going to be really good. I wouldn't have yeah. predicted they were going to be that good. And, again, I had them in the playoff that year. So, you know, Ryan, as, as I look at, I mean, it's hard. I, I don't think there's a lot of teams that have shots to really be title contenders. It would have other than Notre Dame and Ohio state, as far as 
you know, someone who hasn't won it before. I, I don't, you know, I think when you look at the, the, the teams that people consider the title contenders this year, it's mostly coaches who've won it already. You know, it's right. Georgia, it's Alabama, it's, it's Clemson, it's, it's, it's teams like that. And, you know, and then the next two on the ranking. So like, if you look at the preseason top five, it's Alabama one, Ohio state two, Georgia three, Clemson four, Notre Dame five. That's the coaches poll top five. Well, Marcus Freeman and Ryan Day are the two guys without a title. And you got Jim Harbaugh. Jimbo Fisher has won a title. So you can't count him at Texas A&M. Because a lot of people say, well, a and an up-and-coming team. They can win a title. Well, Jimbo's already won a title. They've been up-and-coming for yeah. six years. Utah's not going to win a national championship. Brent no. Venables is not going to win a national championship. I'm just going down the top ten. It's not going to be Dave Aranda. It's not going to be Mike Gundy. It's Tec- not going to be Dan Lanning. Yeah, you know, it's not going to be te- Dave Dorn. Technically, Brett Venables has already won a championship as well. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I know, want, I'll I go know. like as a head coach. I mean, I think it's fair to say that because then you could kind of get into, you know, situations where, uh, you know, you could you could eliminate Ohio State off the list. They've had assistant coaches that have won national championships at places. You know, what I mean, so I'm I'm not going to go there. But then you kind of keep going down the list. Is it going to be Dave Dorn at NC State, Mel Tucker at Michigan State, Lincoln Riley at USC, uh, mm-hmm. Pat Narduzzi at Pitt? You know Miami and and Mario Cristobal. That's an interesting you know, one. Cristobal's an but, interesting. But one. a title? No, they're not going to win a not, title not this year. But into right, the future, right, maybe. right. Yeah, they're a right. couple years away. Uh, sure. Is it going to be Texas? I think that's probably would be the one that I would go with next. They're in and, the. I think Miami and Texas are in the same bucket. Like yeah. it's not going to happen this year, obviously. But a couple years in the future, maybe. I'm awesome. going to put Texas ahead of Miami for two reasons. Number one is I think that they are they're a better foundation, and and. Uh, yeah, I think, but I think with Texas, like, so in the next couple years, I'm going with Texas because Texas is going to be the Big 12 now for two more years, right? Or is this the last year for them in the Big 12? They're they're going in 2024. So they have okay, two so they years. got two more yeah. years. Yeah, their 2023 team is going to be dangerous. Yeah, and they're going to be in the Big 12. You know, either they're either Quinn Ewers is the guy people think he is, or at least close to it, or Arch takes over, right? One of the two. But the rest of the town around them is going to be loaded. They have that Malik Murphy yes. kid that's pretty yes. good too, right? Yeah, yeah, he's a bit raw, but he's very talented. Yeah, Quarterback won't be a problem is kind of the moral of the story, right? Sure. And they're going to be loaded at receiver. They had a top five recruiting class, class last year. They're going to have a top five recruiting class this year. You know, they're going to lose Bijan Robinson and say, okay, fine, we'll replace him with Cedric Baxter, who they just got the other day. You know, J- Xavier Worthy is going to be a junior. I think their defense and, and Coach Kwiatkowski's third year is going to be improving good enough. I think their yeah. offensive line in year three of Kyle Flood is going to be much better. And the young talent that you're worried about this year, Ryan, is going mm-hmm. to be better next year, right? Sure. So I would put Texas as probably the next team on that list behind Ryan Day and Marcus Freeman or in that same conversation of as, as Ryan Day and Marcus Freeman, even more so than Miami. And the reason I say that is Mario Cristobal has a lot, lot longer to go to get Miami to that point. Number one, yeah. talent wise, and number two, uh, it's just Miami still has some issues that they got to work through as an institution to d- to know whether or not they'll even allow the football coach to take it that far, right? You know, and that's the other thing. Now, the the counter argument is is if Texas doesn't do it next year, it could get a lot harder for them to do it because that's when they go to the SEC. Now, mm-hmm. the caveat is I don't know how the scheduling is going to go. They're they're talking about having those weird pods, and I don't I don't know what their schedule is going to look like which could hurt their chances. But the way that he's recruiting right now in Texas, Ryan, they're not going to be, they're not going to back down from anybody in a couple of years. If he can get no. their mindsets right. And that's the only question. Texas has been a really mentally soft football team since, since uh, Colt McCoy left. 
Agreed. And I don't care who the head coach is. And it was the same way last year, which is why they kept losing all those games. I mean, they had they weren't that far away from being a ten and two team. If you just look at if they just won every game they led in the fourth quarter, they're what at worst nine and three. They always have talent. You know, man. they always have talent. It's yeah, it's up here and right here, and that's where I think Sark's Sark's going to get things turned around. USMA says, is there a strategic advantage for not naming a starting quarterback? My thought, keep them guessing as long as possible. Ryan, I've given my opinion on this a lot. How about you share yours? What are your thoughts on, because looking at it from someone who's who's coached defense in the past, who's a defensive yeah. guy, mm-hmm. looking at Notre Dame specifically, we have said in the past there are, there are situations where not naming a quarterback can help you. Right. For Notre Dame specifically, do you see it as an advantage? Not in this situation as much. I mean, we talked about it at the beginning of the show a little bit. Like it's if if this was a legitimate battle where you're like, we have two great players and we need to figure out which one we need to roll with, right? That's a situation where if I'm a defensive coach, I'm like, oh man, we have to repair for two two players that could equally have an opportunity to play that have maybe two different styles of play, right? Like that's where the trouble comes in. But in this one, in my opinion, we know who's going to be the quarterback. And like Brian said before, Ohio State's preparing like they're going to be facing Tyler Buckner because there's nothing that Drew Pine is going to bring to you that Tyler Buckner also can't do. So I don't think holding out on this one is going to be too much of a bonus for Notre Dame, if I'm being completely honest. I think this is much more – you have one player who has much more dynamic ability. You're preparing for him. You think it's kind of a preconceived notion of who's going to be the starter. If it was a close competition and you had two different styles, like closely, then I would be like, okay, let's hold this off and let's ride this out a little bit more. But for this situation, I don't think waiting at waiting is going to be offer a, a ton of upside from a game plan perspective of trying to fool an opposition. Christopher Crosby says, Ryan, there was a lot of good pass rushers drafted last year. This is kind of a, a- NFL draft slash rookie deal. Yep. Ryan, there's a lot of good draft, a good pass rushers drafted this past year. Who do you think will have the most sacks? And will it be over under Chase Young seven and a half from his rookie year? It's a good one. That is a good one. I let me tackle the over under in a second. I think that the guy is set up to have the best production year one. So Kayvon Thibodeau was my top ranked edge guy in this past draft. He was the guy I liked the most. And I think he's in a decent situation with the Giants because he's on the other side of Ezekiel Jolari and they got Leonard Williams. And I think that's going to be a decent pass rush for the New York Giants. I would actually go with Jermaine Johnson because I just think he's the most NFL-ready guy to be productive. I will say it's under. I say he have about seven, maybe seven and a half. Maybe it's a push, Christopher, for me. I just think that he's the guy that's going to hit the ground running and be closest to his ceiling. But I, I think that long-term, Kayvon Thibodeau and maybe a Trayvon Walker, like those guys have more upside than a Jermaine Johnson. I just am a big – I'm a big believer that Jermaine Johnson is going to be a good football player from day one. I don't mm-hmm. think the upside is as high, which is why he fell into the 20s in my opinion. But I do think that he's going to have some pretty good first-year production for the New York Jets. Yep. Next question. Christopher Crosby says, Brian Auburn should be an SEC powerhouse. That that there was more nonsense with one of their QBs last week. Was it TJ Finley got arrested, I believe, last week? Uh, what is going on down there? It's shameful. Uh, I won't address the first part of that. I don't think Auburn is should be an SEC powerhouse. I think they should be a really good SEC team, but not a powerhouse. Auburn's never been a consistent powerhouse. No. They've had two runs in their tenure 
where they had elite players. I mean, yet you won a title in, in the 80s with Bo Jackson, correct? I believe they won a title with Bo. And then you had the run in 2010 with Cam Newton. And the team that went, you know, that, that played Florida State with Nick Marshall, that wasn't a great team. That was a, a really good team. But, I mean, they got – they played about as well as they could play, and Florida State didn't play well, and they still lost. You know, so I, mean, I think I think Auburn should be a good football team consistently. There's no – and especially now – I mean, when we're going to the top 100, Ryan, Alabama's got a ton of players coming out of that state, man. Like, so much so that, like, Penn State's pulling kids out of that state. Oregon was pulling a couple kids out of that state last year before the coaching change because they weren't getting offered by by Alabama. So, yeah, it should definitely be better. But the reason it's not is, number one, uh, I think they made a bad hire in Brian Harson, and, and not that he's a bad coach. He's an okay coach. It's a horrible fit. Yes. I mean, it's a horrible fit. And then number two, you had this attempted coup by the boosters this offseason, which makes your program just look like a joke. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, you get rid of Gus Malzahn because he's not winning you a championship, when in reality, I don't think Gus Malzahn's a great coach, but you're a pretty decent team every year with him as head coach. And not only did, did you fire him, but you just – it was a slow death. Like you bled the program to death instead of just like getting it done. And like it was, what, two, three years you kept hearing these rumors about Gus Malzahn's on the hot seat, like – that's going to kill you on the recruiting trail. It, it, it does so many different things. If you're going to, if you want to fire coaches, fire them. You know what I mean? Like don't do this thing where you sabotage them for three years because then the person that replaces them is taking over just a dumpster fire. And, and that's what happened to Brian Harson combined with the fact that he's a bad fit and not a great coach, just a mediocre coach in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so those are the reasons why I think all, and I think, I think we can blame Brian Harson and we can blame, the head coach, we can blame Alan Green, the D, at AD, who's a, got Notre Dame ties, or maybe not taking more control of the program. At the end of the day, I put it on the money people. I put it on the boosters. You're the ones that have been doing this all these years. You know, you're a program that has said if you win a title and have a bad year, like two years later, you're gone. You know, you could take a team to the national championship, but if in the next two years, well, this is what happened in 2013, you're not back there. All of a sudden, we're going to put you on the hot seat and just basically sabotage you for the next. Who wants that freaking job? So I can go be the second best school in that state? Hard pass. You know, there's a very unrealistic expectation of who they are as a program amongst the Auburn money people, and they have no problem destroying someone. And it, I just think it's a it's a place where, like, who wants that job? I think part of the reason Brian Harsha got the job is because they couldn't get anybody better. And they're definitely not going to get anybody better after this, in my opinion. It's that is a I mean, you said dumpster fire. That's exactly yeah. what it is. I mean, I was looking through the roster the other day, Brian. I'm just like, OK, you have Tank Bigsby, who's a dude, I think. Right. At times, the running back. He's a good football player. Except when he decides o- he's going to keep running out of bounds in the well, end of the Alabama game. His uh, decision making might not be the best, but he's a talented kid. Owen Popo, the linebacker, I think is a good football player. Colby Wooden's a decent football player at defensive line. They have the corner, Nehemiah Pritchett, who's a decent football player. Outside of that, man, that roster's barren, man. It yeah, is not, not a great good. situation. They they haven't been able to figure out the quarterback situation over the last few years either. I mean, Bo Nix was a talented guy, but he never was able to get to that level. Your starting quarterback coming back, TJ Finley, most likely is now facing some legality issues. Like, it's mm-hmm. just not a great situation at Auburn yeah. right now. Not no, great. It's, it's really bad. It's really bad. We have some more super chats down here. I did want to get to. We we really appreciate those very very much. Uh, we have one from William Chesney. Thank you, William, very much. Is hey fellas, we talked about guys on Notre Dame offense and defense who need to step up for Ohio State. 
Also talk about Ohio State offense and, and, and the concerns we have. Who are the D guys who wor- who worry you or we have to contain regarding the Ohio State? Yeah. I, I think for me, it starts up front. I mean, that's really the only concern that I have with Ohio State is, honestly, for me, is the, is this the game that the light goes on for Zach Harrison? Is this the game that it goes on for Jack Sawyer, JT, and then Tyleek Williams inside? I think it's Tyleek Williams one. is the big yeah. one for me. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that that kid. You saw spurts of Tyleek last year as a freshman mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, okay, this guy's got a little juice for an interior pass rusher, and he's a big kid as well. So he's the guy that I think could wreck you a little bit. Jack Sawyer, I think, has an opportunity to be pretty good. I'm just I'm not buying into the Zach Harrison thing, and we'll see about JT. I know JT's really talented too, but mm-hmm. Tyleek Williams is the number one guy for me. And then this is going to sound silly, Brian, but like the, the only other guy in the front seven that worries me, not worries me, but a guy I think you need to keep attention to is Steel Chambers with a full offseason of playing sure. linebacker. Like I think that that's one because he's a really dynamic athlete mm-hmm. on the second level. So yeah. that's a guy for me. That's a guy. Yep. Secondary, I, I want to make sure I know where Ronnie Hickman is at all times, but otherwise mm-hmm. not really sure. concerned. Per sure. Se. Right. Anthony Solomon asks, and, and the answer is going to be yes here, Anthony. Thank you for the super chat. But would it be a fireable offense if one of the IB staff pranked you by replacing your do with mellow yellow? Thanks for all of the great content. Yes. Yes, it would. Immediate fireable offense. I'm actually going to have to rewrite Ryan and Ryan's contract and, and uh, Vince's contract and all the other contracts they have and, and make sure that that's in there. That needs to be a clause, Ryan. That has to be a, a, a mellow yellow clause in the contract. You know, when, so, I, when I show up for the Marshall game, I'm going to bring you mm-hmm. a 12-pack of Diet Dew. And yep. We'll- See how yep. that works. That might also be a fireable offense. <laughs> so uh, as we get closer to the Marshall game, some of y'all may want to get your resumes ready because uh, I may be on the, on the lookout for another recruiting guy. <laughs> that would be so gross. <laughs> what is this nonsense? Have you ever accidentally drank a diet drink when then you didn't know you were going to get it? Like it's not in a can, but like I, I hate that. When I order a normal Coke or something at the like a restaurant and they bring me a diet, it's the worst. Absolutely the worst. Can, can you instantly tell the tell the difference? Yes. Too? Like so here's that, the funny yeah. thing. So there's yeah. this restaurant down the street from my house called uh, mm-hmm. Before Brady's. It's like kind of a national, not nationalist chain, but anyway, for whatever reason, the way the car, the way they have the carbonization hooked up, there's the the drink the drink thing in the back, right? Mm-hmm. With the normal one you pour under that the waitresses use for the restaurant, and then there's the one at the bar that they you mm-hmm. know the, the the host thing. They taste different. And so I always ask, can I have a Coke from the bar? Because I don't like the taste of the one from behind. I told you, I'm a connoisseur of this stuff. So one time my wife and in there, she's like, you can actually taste it. Like the waitress didn't believe me. She says, okay, I'm going to try something. So she went back and got a Coke from the thing and then uh, from the back and then a Coke from the bar. She made me do a taste test and I nailed it right. I was like, it's that's the from the bar, that's from the back. So, I mean, there's all types of things that will taste different. But yes, I definitely can tell when I get a Diet Coke. Like, no, I'm sure that's regular Coke. Like, listen, lady. I've drank 74 million pops in my life. Okay. Uh, that's not a regular, that's definitely a diet. <laughs> so, uh, just your ordinary, I'm much nicer than that. Usually just your ordinary Joe. This is a good one, Ryan game with the most masterful or most dramatic halftime adjustment that you can recall. Wow. I've um, got to go. I've got to go. The, the one that strikes me and I'm trying to remember what year it was. Um, I think it was 2016. Mm-hmm. Give me one. And it's going to be funny because he's a coach. Otherwise, I think it's kind of a not a good coach. But Penn State and Wisconsin 
in 2016 in the Big Ten title game. Wisconsin was up 28-14 at halftime, and and Penn State scored late. But Penn State came out that next half, and they like the first play from scrimmage, they went 70 yards for a touchdown, and just they just they just had Wisconsin's number in that second half. I mean, they just flat had Wisconsin's number in that second half. And I actually think some of the adjustments happened before halftime, but at halftime they really – I mean, Joe Moorhead in that in that game I thought did a masterful job of going into halftime, figuring out what they did, and then they came out in the second half and they steamrolled Wisconsin. I mean, they outscored them 24-3 to in the second half in the Big Ten title game. That is a That was a big one for me where it's like, wow, like I've never seen a team – look so different in one half compared to the other on both sides of the ball in a big game than, than the 2016 big time title game. That That's the one that always stands out for me when anybody asks that. And it was more Joe, Joe Moorhead than it was James Franklin, in my opinion. I, I have to sit on this one. I might put this on the board later tonight to have like a little bit of talk about this topic because I can't think of one that like just really pops mm-hmm. out to me as like substantial like i saw someone put like the falcons pat super bowl second half i saw someone put like was that spring- adjustments or just choking like uh, it you know it, well yes yes i think the answer is is maybe a little of both but to your point there was definitely i have no idea i still have no idea what kyle shanahan was doing in that second mm-hmm. half like i still have no no idea as the falcons offensive coordinator but might have to might have to sit on that one for a little bit yeah it's a good one it's a good one, but I, I really think the Big Ten title game in 2016 is one for me. And look, props to Oklahoma State. I thought the adjustments they made defensively at halftime last year against Notre Dame were pretty good. Sure. You know, it helped that Notre Dame just had no answers personnel-wise, but they still had to make the adjustments, and they an offense that absolutely shredded them in the first half, they did a pretty good job of shutting down in the second half. So I uh, have, have to give them credit for that one as well, no question about it. Okay, here's one time. We get this a lot, Ryan, so I want to ask this. Mm-hmm. Let you answer it. In yesterday's O-line video, I was impressed with Emil Wagner's length and quick feet. If he can't make the weight, what other positions can, could he contribute? It's Tom, it's such a tough one because I'll say this. Emil Wagner has a very interesting combination of length and power and quick feet. Like there's he's I, I, I look forward to seeing how he's developed. I know that the easy one that a lot of people are going to say is defensive end because his body literally looks like a defensive end, but I mean, early on, I, I I think I said this yesterday that or we didn't have a show yesterday, two days ago, where like I would use him as a blocking tight end early on. You know, like I wouldn't be be against using him in that mm-hmm. department. Where does he have the best opportunity to excel? I guess defensive line, but like again, I would have to see him play defense. I never have seen that, right? Like it's such a tough mm-hmm. conversation to me. But I mean, man, the, the tools are fantastic. I really hope he can add, maintain, and that weight does not diminish any of his athletic gifts. Cause if he mm-hmm. is able to hold any type of weight, man, he has the opportunity to be special, but yep. it's a, it's a question mark until it's not. Yep. Yep. Notre Dame two, one, six, four. What's the first game that Tyler Buckner is going to have to put the team on his back and go win it? Uh, Ohio state. I was going <laughs> like, to say, yeah, 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 yeah. my man, yeah. this might be the easiest answer that I've ever had to answer in this whole thing. I think it's going to be Ohio state. I think that's, I think that's really the only game of the regular season that I can look at and determine now he's going to have to do that. Now, the flip side is that sometimes the game that it ends up being isn't a game that you would look at on the schedule and think that's going to be the game he's going to have to go ball out because that's what we've talked about all offseason. This year, last year, the great teams play complementary football. 
And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is, is you may be great on one side of the ball, but you're going to have an off game. Perfect example. We talk about defenses that have off games. Well, sometimes it's great offenses that have off games. And the, the example that I have, Ryan, is you remember in, in 2019 how good that LSU football team was? Yes. I mean, that offense was just – I mean, I mean, the only other offense of my lifetime that was as dynamic of, as that is is probably – I'd say probably uh, the 2000 – was it 2008 Oklahoma team with Sam Bradford and so Chris that, Brown yeah. and DeMarco Murray with that 2,000-yard rushers uh, on that football team. Like, that was a great, great offense. It couldn't get it done at the end of the season, but, you know, pretty great offense. Mm-hmm. But – the the LSU offense is probably the best offense that I've 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 ever seen in my lifetime, and they went out against Auburn and just struggled. I mean, turned the ball over twice. I mean, that 508 yards, but they just couldn't put in the ball in the end zone. They kept having to settle for field goals. Well, guess what? Their defense stepped up big that day. They only beat Auburn 23 to 20 that year, mm-hmm. and a big reason for that was is the defense. I mean, the defense set them up with a touchdown in the second half. Uh, that that uh, that got them the ball. They were down 13-10 in the third quarter. I mean, think about that. 13-10 in the third quarter, they took the lead and never gave it back on a on a, a series that went 45 yards, 45-yard touchdown drive. And so, you know, those are the things where, Ryan, you have to be able to play complimentary football. You absolutely have to play complimentary football. And it, I'm sorry, it was, it was a punt. Like, the, it was a punt, but they buried him deep. It wasn't a turnover just in case people are unclear. Mm-hmm. But you have to play complimentary football. So, it, you know, on paper, it's Ohio State. It, maybe it doesn't turn out that way, and it turns out being like Stanford or something like that, you know, where where right. the defense isn't having that game, and he's got to just say, hey, man, I got this kind of thing. But when you just look at the schedule on paper, right, it's the first game of the year. It's Ohio State. He's going to have to be a guy against the Buckeyes if they're going to go to Columbus at night mm-hmm. in the opener and win that game. I think Tyler's going to have to have a big game. Oh, I agree. I mean, if Notre Dame has a, if Notre Dame has an opportunity to win that football game, I think it's because Tyler Buckner had a chance to win the football game, right? Like that's, I think that that's the thing for me is that game is not going to be won by. I I I would be very surprised if Notre Dame was just like a ground and pound team that's able to dictate the full pace of that game and beat Ohio State in the shoe. Like they're going to have to mm-hmm. trade some offensive firepower, I think, to win that football game, and I think that that comes the explosive plays. I think will be created by the dynamic ability of a Tyler Buckner as a runner and as a passer. So I agree mm-hmm. with you. I think we'll get a quick indication and it's not the end all be all. Cause he's only going to be a sophomore. Right. So like it's, if he does, if he is in the position to win the football game and it doesn't go our way against Ohio state, it doesn't mean that Notre, that Tyler Buckner will never be a game, big game player. It's just, he'll be in the position though, I believe to win that football game if he plays to that degree. So yeah, I think that Ohio state's the big, the big moment for him, in my opinion, for sure. I think we had an, another comment that was similar to that from Sam Tyrell. He said, Brian, after Notre Dame beats Ohio State, who is the player of the game? And I and I think that ties in perfectly. I think it's going to have to be – it's going to either be one of two people. It's either going to be Buckner or somebody on defense that makes just a couple huge game-changing plays. Yeah. You know, something, something like that. You know, like a Jack Kaiser-type play against Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, where it's a close game and he just – And pick six. Breaks yeah. it. You know, it'd yeah. be something like that. And then he'd have to have a good game otherwise. But it'll be Buckner or somebody that does something like that. Or, I mean, the only, I mean, it could be a Foskey, Adam Yola, Maris Lua foul, just for having a big game. 
But I think it's going to have to be someone who just makes some kind of game changing play on defense. Other than that, I think it's going to be it's going to be Buckner. Yeah, I mean, I could see it being like a I could see it being like a Brandon Joseph, like two interceptions, one return for a touchdown, some crazy thing like that. But I agree. I think the most likely is Tyler Buckner with a huge game. I'm going to say this. Okay. If Notre Dame beats Ohio State, barring it being something crazy like multiple scores set up by the defensive special teams. If an offensive player other than Tyler Buckner wins the offensive MVP against Ohio State, this team is going to be really, really, really good. That's fair. Meaning if they can beat Ohio State without Tyler Buckner just putting the team on his shoulders, this team is going to be really, really, really good. That's something certainly to get certainly to get excited about, Ryan. There's no doubt about that. Rob Osgood, happy Friday, IB Nation. So far, who, in your opinion, uh, who, uh, who, which coach has impressed you the most on the recruiting trail? That's for you, Ryan. Is is it tough that that is it bad that that's a really tough question to answer? In my opinion, I mean, I guess it's Marcus Freeman. I mean, he would have to be my answer, I guess. I mean, we're talking just Chad Bowden. Right? Chad Bowden, yeah, right. he deserves a big, big ups in that department. I, I think for me. I would I would say the easy answer though it is is Coach Freeman because not only is he a dynamic recruiter and he's showed his chops continuously he's always he's already he's also hired some other good dynamic recruiters right so they're kind of an extension of him to a degree if you're asking me just assistant coaches I would probably go with I don't even know man it's so it's so tough honestly I, I mean I'm thinking like. Harry Heaston has gotten six guys in the in the next two cycles, right? I think Al Washington has his moments. Chancey Stuckey, I think, deserves some big ups for what he has done. But I mean, he's had a he's had a miss already, right? Like, and sure, it, and everybody will, right? Right. Sure. Can sure. I can I give one that we're that we're yeah. not talking about because we're focused so much on the new coaches? Because he just sure. said which coach has impressed you. Mike Mickens is not getting nearly enough credit for the job he's done in twenty two and twenty three recruiting corners. I mean, he's going to have three guys, in my opinion, that should have been surefire top 100 players, in my opinion. Uh, two for sure, two others that are borderline, because I think Benjamin Morrison's a top 100 guy. I got Micah Bell's a top 100 guy, and I have Jaden Mickey and Christian Gray's borderline top 100 guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that, that can't be and, – and it's there's speed, there's confidence, there's length, and he signed guys from St. Louis, Texas, at Phoenix area, and California. So it's not like they lucked out and there happened to be a really good corner from Fort Wayne, you know what I mean, or Chicago or, or Andrean and Maryville or something like that. He's going down into the backyard of the big boys. And let's think about who he's beat for the – he beat Ohio State and LSU for Christian Gray. He beat Alabama and Washington for Benjamin Morrison. And at the time, Jimmy Lake was still the coach at Washington. And there is nobody in the country other than maybe Bama the last five years that has produced more cornerbacks to the NFL – than Jimmy Lake, just yep. corners, right? Because he was the corners yep. coach. And then, you know, Jaden Mickey, they got him really early and, and they beat out a lot of West Coast schools for him. And the funny thing is Jaden Mickey was the least heavily recruited of all those kids. And mm-hmm. he's been super impressive. So Mike Mickens is not getting nearly enough credit for the job he's done the last two years. And the 2024 cornerback board is incredibly impressive. So, uh, Ryan, you nailed all like the, all the new coaches to a degree are showing a good doing a good job, but I think a returning coach isn't getting enough credit for how good of a job he's doing on the recruiting trail as well. That would that would be a response I would have. 
That's a really good one. I, I, I mean, I, I think he's so underrated that I even underrated him in my response. Well, right? I like, think your focus is more on head. the new guys. Yeah, That's where yeah. I, I, you know, I kind of read your comment. It's kind of looking at the new guys yeah. on the staff, which makes sense. I mean, I, I get that. I get that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's done a he's done a really really good job. We'll stay on the recruiting chair real quick, Ryan. Brandon Plesner asks, how uh, any update in the Jeremiah Love recruitment? How are we feeling? Brandon, so the last thing, and, and you know, we we put a little bit of an update on the board a while ago, but the last thing was, I think the the remaining big hurdle for, well, at least from a visit perspective, was Texas A and M, which was not this past weekend, the weekend before for Jeremiah Love, and we after speaking with Jeremiah after the visit, I left the conversation feeling that Notre Dame is still the leader in the clubhouse, and the fact of the matter is, is I think that unless Notre Dame came out, unless Jeremiah Love came out of that visit and someone had overtaken Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I feel good about Notre Dame standing in this one. So yeah. we should have some clarity on this soon. Like I said, he's he's a guy that wanted to have this announced before the end of August. So that should be sometime in the next couple weeks, I would imagine. I think Notre Dame is still the leader. And I, I think this one is trending and has continued to trend in the right direction. Teams like Texas A&M have made this a battle. There's no doubt about it. But I think I, there's some doubt about it. Think so? I do because I don't think. I mean, to make it a battle, yeah. to me, it's got to be like what happened with Clemson and Ronan Hannafin, or LSU and Ohio State and Christian Gray. At any point in time over the last month and a half, two months, did you ever feel like AM had closed the gap or taken the lead? No. No. Yeah, that's a good point. That's no. Good point. Yeah. So I get what you're saying, and you're being yeah. fair, but no, I like there was a report two weeks ago that AM was a leader. And I was like, no, nah, that's not what I'm hearing. And so I had that's you get I'm on it. And Jay, Jeremiah was like, no, like, I mean, it was like, of course, like Notre Dame's definitely my leader. It's like, okay. Yes. I don't know where this stuff's coming from. I really don't. Yeah. Uh, but, and Ryan, you've even reached out to some people that, that, that are around AM and they think Notre Dame is the leader from what yes. you've, what you've heard from people as well. So, yeah. I mean, that's the most recent thing, honestly, Brandon, is that, people on A&M's recruiting side of things still think Notre Dame's the leader. And if that is the case, then I'm not worried at all about it. I mean, honestly, full transparency, the team that had me most nervous for a while was Alabama, but that was before Richard Young and Justice Haynes both landed with Alabama. So Michigan, I know, has done a pretty good job in spurts. I think A&M has made him have to think a little bit, you know, maybe not as much as I was originally portraying, but I do think – I think Notre Dame is the leader. Unless something else completely changes, yeah. I think they'll be in a good spot heading towards decision day. The only thing that could change is that's yes. it. Yes. That's it. They'd have to make something huge. Now, you said something interesting. You said Michigan did a really good job. And I have mm-hmm. we have said that in conversations either here or you and I privately yep. several times with a lot of Michigan did a really nice job here, but and it still blows my mind that they are struggling this bad, they're working hard. I mean, they worked hard to get Charles Jackson. They didn't have a chance. They worked hard with Jeremiah Love, and they're just not going to have a chance. They did a great job with, with Jaden Osbury, and it just they were never going to get him. Yeah. It's really fascinating that a team that just made the playoff, who actually has coaches that, from what we can tell, because how we view it is, mm-hmm. every time we talk to kids, we hear them mention Michigan, and they like the coaches, and the coaches have done a good job, but I'm not going there. And they're usually not even the top two. And, you know, it's, it's really weird. Like, and I, and I, and I wonder why I think, I think we have an idea why, but I've never seen anything like this. A team that had so much success return their head coach and just on field success, draft success, and just 
completely fell up, fell fall apart as a recruiting yeah. operation. Like that next offseason, it's really wild and fast. I would love someone whenever whenever the Jim Harbaugh era does kind of end, I would love kind of some recollection just of this offseason and the recruiting side of things. I think that would be a fit, a just I think that would be a a really intriguing article that I would love to just read. Mm-hmm. Just kind of the mishaps and the stunting of of momentum and all I, I, that would be a great read in my opinion. So I look forward mm-hmm. to kind of seeing the inner workings of that, Brian, because I mean, we could speculate, but we, I think that you hit a nail on the head, the uncertainty with the coach and the mm-hmm. flirting with the NFL, like it had to completely kill the momentum this off season. Yep. Jack Reacher's elbow with a super chat. If Notre Dame beats Ohio state by a fair amount, uh, not a blowout or squeaker, what is the reaction by national media and rivals? respect or excuses for Ohio state. I think probably a little bit of both. It's, it's always both in my opinion. So like some people will say like, Ohio state's overrated if they lose to a Notre Dame team, but then they'll also, I, there will be some people that will be like, Oh, Notre Dame's because yeah. Marcus Freeman, right? If, if Brian Kelly was the coach and they beat Ohio state, they, I think they would still find excuses like hundred percent. Hundred percent. They're, yeah. they're going to revert back. They're going to revert back. But the fact that it's a new or coach, they would just crush Ohio State. How yes. how bad Ohio State was. Yes. Yeah. But I think that there will be a, a decently even split if that happens because now you'll be like, oh well, Marcus Freeman must just be for real, right? Like this right. staff must be the real deal. Like this program's going in the right direction. So right. there's always going to be a little bit of both. But I would say it'd be more balanced than if it was still Brian Kelly as the head coach. Yeah. I think you're still going to have some people that will just not give Notre Dame any credit. I mean, that's always going to happen. It, yep. They could go 14 and 0 this year, folks. And there's going to be people, especially at ESPN and on the SEC network, that'll just say, well, they only did that because they were fresher than whatever SEC team they beat because their schedule wasn't tough. I mean, you, you get it all. It's the same crap that you hear from those people when Clemson was beating SEC teams every year. Because, yes, yeah, Clemson beat Bama twice for titles, Ryan, but they beat at least one or two SEC teams almost every year. In the yeah. regular season, because they beat South Carolina then, and then they remember they were beating Georgia a couple times. They beat they beat Auburn the year that they won the first title. They beat Texas A and M the year they won the second title on the road. And you hear the same stuff. Wow, oh, the schedule's soft, and that's why they were fresher. Blah 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 blah. And just you're always going to have that. But I think people that are honest and and have some level of integrity it, it, a little bit of both. And honestly, it should be. If Notre Dame goes into Columbus and and smacks Ohio State pretty con- convincingly. I think it says a lot about Notre Dame, but I do think it's a bad sign for Ohio State. I, I don't sure. think that's a good thing. Now, is it something where I'm going to say, uh-oh, Ryan Day's tenure's up? No, let's see how they respond, right? Because, you know, they got smacked in the mouth at home by Virginia Tech the last time they won a national championship. It, stuff happens. But I don't think that's a good sign for Ryan Day, to be honest with you, if they get smacked by Notre Dame. I, I don't anticipate that happening, though. I, I I think Notre Dame can win this game. There's no doubt, but it's not. It's it's going to be a battle, in my opinion. It, it is. Yeah. They're going to have yeah, to have some I don't breaks. Think, I don't think it's going to be. That's why I push back against the point spread so much because I just I don't think this is going to be a one sided affair either way. No matter how yeah. this goes, I don't think it's going to be a non competitive game. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. We have some some interesting questions here. Um, Brendan K, what have you learned about growing a business? Uh, what have you learned about how to run a sports podcast? Um, Brandon, that's Brandon. That's a good question. Uh, what have I learned about growing a business? I mean, I've learned a ton. I mean, I could literally do a three-hour show on the things that I've learned doing a business. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me, and Ryan, I'm curious about your thoughts on this because I've shared a lot of my vision and the things that I've done is have have a plan that you believe in and stick to it. 
be willing to adapt and grow as long as the vision doesn't change. Because that's the thing is you go and I think I'm going to do this and then you know, maybe I need to go this way. You need to be adaptable, but you can't adapt your vision. You can't adapt your passion. And that's the thing is I've had a lot of people tell me you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't make money doing this. I had people like most of the people that I've reached out to when I thought about starting this YouTube channel. I was like, no, don't do it. It's not worth the time. You can't make money doing it. And and then you, know, you don't do a podcast. You can't make money doing it. Well, Ryan, you know what we're doing in both of those. And, and, and I'm glad that I listened to my gut. But it's trust your gut. Be passionate about something. Have a plan. Stick to it. And then be fiscally responsible is the other thing. And and, and that, that's not something I would say I learned. I think that's something that's helped us. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't. I haven't taken out any loans. I don't have any debt. If I decided tomorrow to walk away, I wouldn't know a dime. You know, other than paying Ryan's salary. You know, so uh, I mean, that's a big thing. Is just just you know have a plan, think it through, stick to it, and and be adaptable to, to the way things go. And I mean, for, for me, it was tough, uh, you know, gosh, five months after taking over COVID hit mm -hmm. and I'm running a sports site that doesn't, isn't talking sports. There's no sports to talk about, you know, but I had a vision. I stuck through it. We got, we had some really tough months at, at you know, for my family, but you know, my wife owns a business as well. We were able to kind of power through and, and make it work and make sacrifices. And, and eventually the, the plan has worked out, worked. And so, you know, that's my thing is, you know, have a clear thought out plan, be convicted about it and stick, stick to it. Don't, and don't let other people who don't, don't let other people who have failed at something convince you that the way you want to do it doesn't work because they may have failed for different reasons. As long as you've really thought it out and done all the homework and the research and, and, and have a, you know, you've got to try, look, there's no way you can be prepared for every scenario, right? But Try your best. Like I thought, okay, but what happens if in five months a global pandemic happens that I don't have any sports to talk about? <laughs> Didn't cross my mind. It was not part of my preparation. You know, but my wife and I had to do a lot of planning before we started this. And I had kind of known for a while that I eventually wanted to do on, go on my own. And um, so far it's worked. But, you know, stick to your guns. And then he had a follow-up. Uh, how has your style of delivering this content changed over the years? What have you learned as a sports personality that you wish you knew when you started? I I wish I would have learned more from Lou Samoji very early on about engaging with people in a certain way. And I'm still a, I can still be abrasive. That's just my personality. I don't I don't have Lou's heart. I don't have his genuine kindness. I don't think I have that. The the sort of the 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 he can just he could have someone yelling at him and he's just going to be like, "Well, I understand." I Appreciate you sharing that with me. And that's just who he was. Or if you're in my face, you know, he's like, uh, you might want to back off because I'm about to start swinging. I just I have that rough of personality. But especially when he passed and I just saw the genuine love and respect people had for him. I was like, you know, if I if I pass tomorrow, you know, I think there'd be like a, you know, a Driscoll really knew football. But and then dot dot insert. He's a jerk. He's this. He's that. And the other thing And to a degree. It's like I'm always going to be me. But as you sat back and think about it, I was like. Do I really need to like argue with every person has a different opinion than mine? Do I really need to be this aggressive at this opinion? Do I really need to respond to everything on Twitter? Do I really need to do all these kind of things? Or can I just sit back and say, you know what, man, like I'm just going to create it. I'm just going to be more mild. And I mean, Ryan, you and I've had this conversation because you're kind of sometimes where I was, you know, and it's just like, you know, like, look, you don't, I don't need to win this battle. It's okay. Like this person's not hurting anybody by having a different opinion of mine. And so I think that's the thing from the style that's changed is, is like, you know, I think I'm more, 
mild, you know, in, in, in my reactions, I I've learned to say, Hey, get your two points in and then end it. That's kind of my new rule on debating people on message boards. I make one counter or second counter. And for the most part, unless it's just good football talk, but if I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm arguing with you after the second one, I've said what I need to say, I need to keep repeating it. It's, it's good to go. Um, I think those are things that I've, to me, I've, I've learned about it because now I am the face of Irish breakdown. And if I'm a prick all the time, then guess what? People are going to be like, well, I don't go Irish breakdown. Cause that place is, you know, just, it's not a cool place to be. And, so I want to debate and argue, and I want to create that thought. But you know, you don't need to have to win every argument. You don't have to be so aggressively trying to win arguments. And I think those are things that I've learned. Ryan's smirking because he and I have had that conversation. <laughs> so I'm um, still learning. Yeah. I'm still learning. Yeah, leave it there. <laughs> and then last one, Brandon says, "What was the most pivotal decision you've had to make regarding Irish breakdown?" There's two, and I'm not just saying this for because of present company. But number one was, do I want to keep doing this? And, and that was the big thing for me is, and I think every business that starts up the way that I did, which is I didn't take out any loans. I didn't take out any, any, uh, I didn't have any investors. I mean, I started this with zero, you know, basically it was just my vision and my ability and, and, you know, having, you know, eventually Vince came over pretty soon, but at the very beginning, it was just me. And, and so is this going to work or not? And, you know, after the first year, you know, because of COVID it's like, if this continues much longer, I mean, we're going to be in trouble. And I actually did at one point in time consider some pretty dramatic financial steps, decided not to. I prayed a lot about it. I had faith in God that, that you know, hey, look, I got you. You don't need to go to this bank. You don't need to go to this person. You don't need to make this decision. You don't need to see that lawyer. Just I got you. And so I sat back and said, OK, I'm going to keep plugging away. And I think the decision to keep plugging away and not either quit or go away from what I had said of not taking out loans and doing those type of things uh, to grow was the best decision I ever made because pretty soon after that, it took off. And and I truly believe that that was a blessing. I'm humbled by that. It's not a look how great I am. I do believe God has opened doors for me. I genuinely believe that and, and got us through some really tough times as a family and as a business. And the second one was hiring Ryan because it required me to take a gamble in a way that that I wasn't necessarily comfortable doing, meaning I had proje- I had to project where I thought the business was going to be this year based on what we had done. And what we had kind of done the previous year wasn't going to be enough to pay Ryan what I needed to pay him. But I had faith in y'all. I had faith in the vision that, you know, we're going to be okay. And so when, when I decided to hire Ryan, it was a, it was a risk. It was a gamble because I, I, you know, I can pay him, but can, I can still pay myself, you know, that kind of thing. And right when we hired him, just, we took off and it's been great. And, you know, and, and, but that's another one because it's allowed me hiring him and him putting out content has allowed me to start working on other projects and doing some other things, growing our team in other ways that has resulted in us really taking off. So uh, those are the two things that, that, um, you know, not really giving away secrets. I'm just kind of telling you, and then, you know, just be willing to, like I said, the most pivotal decision is just be willing to see it through, stick with it, you know, and, um, and we're lucky, like we don't have kids. So it's like when times got tough, we didn't have kids we had to feed and things like that. So it was easier for us to, to go through that in my opinion. Um, David Fryman says, uh, just gave my buddy a new IB hat and mug for his birthday. Everyone should do the same Buy merch. I agree. We have the link to the shop right below. Here's a really fascinating question, Ryan. 
Mm-hmm. Brian and Ryan, let's say the Notre Dame Ohio State game is delayed two hours because of a thunderstorm. Does that affect either team positively or negatively? I mean, it can affect them. It can affect both negatively a little bit, right? Like the adrenaline's kind of run out a little bit, you know, kind of leading up to mm-hmm. the game. I would say that it would affect Ohio State a little more negatively just because it's a home game. And that can mm-hmm. really, I think, affect a little bit of like the kind of the morale and the electricity in the air for them positively i don't think it really affects either one positively right like i I think that either way you're kind of losing a little bit of your juice you're having the weight to play football like i I don't think it affects either one very positively i would just say the negatives i think would actually hurt ohio state a little bit more but i think it does affect both negatively if we're talking about just the adrenaline starting to wear off you know two hours is a long time to just sit there and wait and yeah have to play football like it's a long time I'm going to say this, Ryan. I mm-hmm. think it benefits Notre Dame. And the reason I say that is, is we saw We've seen this. We've mm-hmm. seen this happen. We saw this happen against South Florida in 2011. It was halftime, but they came out of the second half, and not only was – like both teams were kind of flat, yeah. but there was no energy in the stadium. It was half empty. Dead. Like all the momentum was – I mean, it was it was just like – and that's the thing with, with Ohio State is – one of the disadvantages would face Notre Dame is it's going to be a wild atmosphere. If it's okay. delayed two hours because of thunderstorms, there will be people that leave. It most likely won't be the Notre Dame fans. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and a exactly. lot of the energy will be kind of sapped out a little bit. And and so I think that would – then it comes down to just two teams playing, you know. But uh, I, I, do, I do think it would be – would benefit Notre Dame more, but I hope we don't get there because I don't want anything to happen to where it's like, well, Notre Dame only won because of insert excuse, right? Or Ohio State blew Notre Dame out or beat Notre Dame because of insert excuse. I want whatever the outcome to be to be because that's just where it was, what those teams were that day, not because of any other you know potential excuses that people may 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 get to. I, I guess one positive to Ohio State slightly would be at least like you're you're more comfortable in your surroundings. So I guess if you have to like just chill for a little bit, it's like okay, I, I know like where my where my zone is around here. I know where to kind of just lay down and just relax for a few minutes. So I guess that could be just having having the home surroundings. But like for the most part, I think just deflating a home crowd would be just that's that's the biggest mm-hmm. disadvantage for me. Yeah. Yep. Let's see here. Uh, I want to respond to Brandon. It says, Brian, is your confidence in the Jeremiah Love recruitment stemming from sources on the Notre Dame side of things or Love side of, if you can comment, both uh, ATM and Indy staffs feel confident in locking in his commitment? I, I don't – that's not necessarily the read that we get. And so, first of all, Brandon, I think you know this by now, we almost never give you our opinion based on one source. Almost never. And the only time we do, it's because the source is the person that's been, that we're given the update on. Right. Like, I don't need to get confirmation if a recruit tells me something about <laughs> his feelings. Right. I don't need to, well, is this what, you know, it, it, you know, that's kind of what it is. But in this instance, it comes from all over. It, it, there's not just one source. We have talked to many sources about this question. So, unless, unless this kid's flat lying to somebody, I don't see what some people are saying on our board, others are reporting. You know, I just, I don't see it that way. If, yeah. if it's trending that way, then. I'm going to have to have a talk with someone at the right. end of this whole right. situation. Cause right. I, yeah, I wish I and could so share a lot of other people. some of the Intel. Yeah, yeah exactly. So <laughs> I just, you know, again, I'm, I'm not saying somebody's given bad Intel. Somebody's lying. Somebody's, I'm not saying any of that, 
I think what's being reported is probably what some people are being told. At least one of the people that I know is reporting A&M is not someone that I think is a hack like the other people that, that, that the national people that I, that I go off on, but we're just, we're just not hearing that. And as far as the ATM staff feeling confident, I mean, like Ryan, you reached out to somebody yesterday and that's not necessarily the vibe that you heard. Correct. Yeah. yeah no. From the, the AT, on, from the A&M side of things. Yes. Yeah. On, on their side of things, again, it's been consistent that they think Notre Dame is the leader right. and coming out of the visit. If Notre Dame is still the leader, I feel pretty good about where that's trending. Like just, right. I mean, pretty cut and dry there, you know, like they yeah. had to, I think if A&M was really a, a, I think if A&M pushed it to like, if they came out and they were the absolute leader now, then this is a completely different conversation. But the fact that they didn't close the gap fully, in my opinion, tells me that Notre Dame is still in a good spot. Uh, yep. I agree. Let's get to some more questions. You got some, y'all are just really brought it today. We got a World War II question from Rob Osgood. And I have it's all uh, you, man. Yes, yes. Uh history question. What was the best tank of the war of World War World War II? Panther, Tiger, Sherman, or T32? Um, I'd probably go the Panther, probably the Panther or the Tiger. I think those are the two most effective. Look, the reality is the Sherman was not a great tank, and there's been a lot of discussion about that. What it did have, however, was a lot of them. And they had great tactics. I think that helped. The reason that the Allies had so much trouble in North Africa early in the war is because of Rommel had the combination of great tanks and, and really good tactics. Eventually, like once Patton and the Americans kind of got into Europe, they had some really good success because the American tanks were still way better than the British tanks. Uh, but they just were able to mass produce. I mean, that's a big part of what the war was. It's the same thing in Japan. I mean, and, and we've talked about this in the Pacific fight is eventually Jap Japan ran out of pilots and they ran out of, you know, they couldn't mass produce aircraft carriers the way that the United States could mass produce aircraft carriers. So like when they would, when they would have, uh, you know, four, they have four carriers sunk at Midway, they couldn't just replace them in a period of time like the United States could. And of course, much bigger population. So, you know, we were able to draw in more pilots where their pilots were just, and they, had, they dominated from a, a, a experience standpoint early on because they had been fighting Russia and China and their pilots had a lot more experience. And we're just putting out young flyers. Guys have been flying over their farms and, and stuff like that early on. So they were really good flyers, but they didn't have the battle experience. But we were just able to throw so much at them. Same thing with the Germans. I mean, 10 Shermans are going to beat two Panthers kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like no matter how superior the tank is, eventually, back then at least, you could just be overwhelmed by numbers. And I think that was a big part of it. And so, you know, I think whether it's Panther or Tiger depends on where you read and who you talk to. But I think those are probably the two most, um, the two best tanks, you know, most effective tanks, I should say, uh, from the World War II period. And they were both German tanks, by the way. Uh, but that was the issue Germany was always going to have. It was just they, they like once they brought – the United States into the war because well, Japan brought them into the war. And then Germany, for some stupid reason, uh, went out and declared war on the United States before, which like allowed us to just kind of, okay, we're well, now we're not going to hide. We've been involved. We've been given aid and weapons to the British and the allies. But then it was just like, okay, you just, you couldn't match the numbers and the technological and advancements. And then the fact that, you know, women and minorities who weren't able to fight, went into the factories and did a tremendous job of making sure that our troops were armed and had the equipment, all those kind of things. I mean, the country truly rallied together and the industrial might of the United States was just unmatched at the time. And that's really ultimately what, what, 
what ended it. And of course, we had some really good generals. I mean, we had some really good leadership. Eisenhower was really good. Uh, Nimitz had some really good strategy at West. We had some other great generals that could carry, you know, Patton was a, a savant when it came to tactics, you know, tank tactics and tank strategy. And ultimately, those are the things that that uh, won it, um, you know, for the, the allies. I mean, one of the many reasons, in my opinion, that won it for the allies. So there you go. So we won't go too deep into the World War II questions, but I did want to answer that because I'm always fascinated by those questions. You know that, right? Oh, yeah.